bought a mic. Gotta fucking come. We bought a meow. There's no cut. We bought a clever. The magical Mister. We Mike bought Feliz. Bought. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast with a fun mix of healthy bantering, careful, critical analysis. I'm Ernest. I'm Hunter. I'm Drew. And who saw did, who saw Cats? I believe did you? I had the pleasure. <laughs> Why did you do it? You saw it without us. I'm very upset. I bet you weren't even you... on a bunch of acid. I asked you guys <laughs> multiple times. If you wanted to go see, and we it. said yes. Silence. No, we said yes. We just didn't schedule it. Uh, you're gonna go see it again. Fuck. I'll tell you that right yeah, now. Yeah, you have to go again. <laughs> Maybe it'll be amazing. Yeah. Maybe did you see it before or after it got fixed? I think before. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You look out for those hands. I actually did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Judy Dench, uh, Old Deuteronomy, uh, human hands. Awesome. I'm going to I'm going to go deep into cats in a little bit. Um but guys, this is the last podcast of the year of the decade. Mm. We're recording this on New Year's Eve Eve. Remember and by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be 2020. Our podcast was so bad in 2010. Um <laughs> it was under a different name. You won't be able to our, find yeah, it. Yeah, our podcast that we just had around a lunch table together. Yeah. But it was there was no order to it, no microphones, no recording. Uh it was before we bought a mic. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. We it's... had not bought a mic yet, not a single one. Wow. Mm. How far we've come, boys. This was the decade that we bought a mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm gonna remember it. Well, Hunter got some champagne. Yeah, we're celebrating the close of a decade. Yeah. Um, it's also I think that I have a feeling that Katz is going to be like the defining moment of yeah. the next decade. I, I think it might. Man, I, whenever we're on shot. like Katz eight in like twenty thirty five. It's already at the top back. of my decade list for this decade. Okay, good. It'll probably be on my decade list for the next decade yeah. too. That's cats two, two cats too furious. Yeah. Yeah. Two cats too feline. So before I go off on the uh, cinematic event of a generation. I think Hunter has a, a couple, um, what should we call this? Uh, corrections? It, yeah, we're going to call them corrections. From We haven't had a catch-up in a little while, but uh, I've had uh, notes written into me privately that whenever I did my little Broadway bash uh, a few years, a few weeks ago feels like a lifetime ago dear god since then a, tr a president's been impeached i don't know what's happened this month cats um, came out cats god it was really a lifetime ago i feel like i was i was a better man then um you were but not a correct man mm -mm. um and uh i messed up a lot of the people's names uh whenever we went on broadway and i'm sorry i did preface it at the time by saying i'm not a broadway boy i don't know broadway i was once a, i was once a theater boy much like unlike anybody else here at this table, but I did not get their names right. So just quickly wanted to shout out the people who were in Hadestown because I fucked up all their names. It was Reeve Carney, who is a cool. very talented guy. Patrick Page was the guy who I was talking about. His voice goes very low. And Amber Gray, who is like a kind of a household name in the Broadway community, at least. For um, sure, for sure. <laughs> yep. But another reason why I wanted to bring this up is because this ties into a thing that we have been watching 
And there's a guy by the name of Andre DeShields. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest man on Broadway. Mm-hmm. He's in, you saw him live? Yeah, we saw him live in Hades Town. Wow. He is very, very good. And he is in John Mulaney and the Sack Bunch Lynch. Yeah. Um, and he is incredible. Along with a few other um like notable Broadway people that are in that. There's yeah, somebody from Waitress mus- is in there. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh it's it's musical people. Same yeah. with the kids. I know, Ernest, you have not had a chance to watch it, so we won't go into the bits. Yeah, I uh, meant themselves. to, but I watched it on... I, Instead, it was, I saw Cats. Yeah, I watched it on Christmas Eve. It was like the last thing I watched before Same. Christmas. Yeah, I, I got my family to watch it because um, I was like, listen, I just sat through the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> they, every year it gets more boring somehow. They just they can't liven it up. I think maybe it's because they've been talking about the same stupid book for like 2,000 years. You didn't have a guy Write who... another one. You didn't Jeez. have a guy who like did the whole bit where you're 45 minutes in there. It's like, uh, don't worry. I know you guys are looking down at your clocks, but don't worry. Uh, we only have two and a half hours to go. <laughs> no. No, Every time I go to a church, it's they like, make that joke, it's, and it's never... It's just, it's like the light laugh in that SNL Christmas mass sketch, where it's like, uh, the wise men followed that star for three weeks, and they didn't have GPS back then. You know? Wow. And, yeah, and you're like... <laughs> it's like that type of thing. <laughs> they did have GPS. It was called the stars. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I... I didn't stop. I, you, it was more accurate than GPS. St. John's Episcopal Church... Uh, this is Ya Burn Notice <laughs> from Ernest Calderon. You guys are enemies of the podcast now. You know, I drove into Tallahassee on New Year's or on uh, Christmas Eve, and there's like a church every quarter mile on the main road. Yes, yeah, too and they many. Were all decked out with like cops outside directing the traffic. Um, it was um, not fun. Well, at least they're not paying any taxes. Yeah. Um, so speaking of religion, hmm. <laughs> wait, were you done? <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? No, no, that's fine. no I'm just going to read point. off more names that I got wrong. So I'm sorry. I did say I, I'm a movie guy. Oh, apparently also I, I said, uh, this was a while ago. I got just fucking burned on my homecoming here. Um, I got told that apparently I said during our lady, the trip review that was set in England. Mm-hmm. It's definitely set in New England. Yeah, oh. it's definitely an American thing. Either it looks way, very English. Uh, either way, there's a lot of black people for the time period that it's set in an upper wealthier area of New England, and that's not okay. Anyways, it's fine. So let's talk about something that is set in England. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of similarities between Lady and the Tramp and a movie that you saw. Cats, guys, 2019. I did it. I bit the bullet. I went with my sister and my mother. Theater and, people. Yeah. My, I mean, I would consider my sister a theater expert, musical theater expert. Not a fan of Cats. No. She was the first to let us know that th- this is bad. It's a bad musical. Yeah. And if they make a movie about it, it will also be bad. And obviously, the internet has been set entirely ablaze by each trailer leading up to the release of this, yeah. of this thing. So at the very least, I was intrigued and we were, you know, we were curious about this. And, you know, I I wasn't 100 percent sure if I was going to see it. But once it came out and I started hearing all these stories on people of people on Twitter having like really uh, just borderline transcendental movie going (laughs) experiences in places like New York City. It's a bold choice of words. Um, 
that's what people were saying that it was like a movie so bad that it actually became good because of the the communal watching experience. So I wanted to ask you, how was the crowd that you went with? You were know, they there for the right reasons? I I feel like I was really stupid and naive to assume that Tallahassee, Florida would have the type of movie going crowd that would be ironically watching cats. Yeah. I yeah, I was fair. trying to get in the in the spirit of having fun with this movie and trying to make like you know the uh, a little a little day out of it, a little fun out of it. I got shushed a couple times. Got shushed trying to sing along to. <laughs> you got shushed. You of all people who. But all right. So listen, this movie is so awful mm. that the only way to sit through it without wanting to shoot yourself is to laugh and to react and to scoff and to just belt out reactions and at some point clap and sing along (laughs) and i didn't feel like the crowd was ready to join me in that uh that adventure so you know the words well there's one song in particular that is so you don't sing along to memory no no, you cry along to memories okay no well you don't after you get shushed well, there's one song in particular called The Magical Mr. Mistopheles yeah. that is so repetitive. Oh, was there ever a cat so clever as Magical Mr. Mistopheles? I'm, I'm familiar. And it just repeats over. I might have butchered the melody a little bit there, but it just repeats over and over to the point where it just swells and you just want to go, oh, was there ever a cat Do so you, though? <laughs> Yeah, I I wanted to stand. Was up that and James cheer. Corden? That was the only moment where I felt like if if I don't put myself into this movie, I'm just gonna leave so sad mm-hmm. and disappointed. Had to do it. I respect um, it. So I do. I have a question. So you have never seen the well, original Cats, have you? Okay, so that was the thing. I had never seen it. My sister obviously knew yeah. all everything about it, knew exactly what she was getting into. And her reaction was actually like, yeah, that was a bad movie, but they did a pretty damn good job at sticking to the source material. Yeah. It was a okay, good so that was So that was my question, because um, I'm also a theater boy, as previously stated. Um, and I have seen Cats multiple times, and Cats is terrible. You know why Cats is bad? Because... The musical, the first half of it is all the cats coming out and introducing themselves with a song, and then one of them dies, and then that's just kind of it. So is that pretty yeah, much how it was, the movie oh, yeah. goes? Yeah, yeah, it was sort of, it was um, sort of like a heat check by Andrew Lloyd Webber that it did not sing. It, it was sunk in terms of being an endlessly profitable musical with songs that people love, but. He basically was like, all right, I don't have to really make it make sense. So he based it off these poems by T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. The the poems themselves don't make much sense, but they're just kind of like freestanding poems. He was like, I'm going to make a narrative musical out of this. And he forgot about the narrative. Part. Well, and apparently he, right. came up with the, he came up with the idea about making a musical about cats when he was like eight. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can tell. Yeah, that, that's kind of he and, didn't really put I mean, much more thought. He was probably on like a wild cocaine binge too, because he was thing, like, "Yo, I made fam of the opera. Nobody can touch me now." This <laughs> this thing was absolutely horrifying. You know, like from the jump, from the opening number, I was just completely taken aback. I I was 
clutched by this movie and dragged into the depths of hell. I I was in awe in a horrible way of what I was seeing of Did, these human cat yeah, things. Yeah, that is the problem like with the adaptation of it because I can't tell you anything about the movie itself, but the look of those is viscerally unpleasant. Yeah, and it doesn't wear off. No. I mean, there are moments in the movie where you forget for a split second and then it immediately hits you and you're like, oh, Fuck. Oh yeah, that's James <laughs> James Corden wearing like spandex. Well, there and there's moments Jason where it Derulo is just it is around. more visceral than others. Like for example, when Judy Dench, uh, Old Deuteronomy, is introduced, it's this really beautiful, touching tune. Legend of Cinema, by and the way. The the set design is really pretty, and there's fog and neon lights, and they're singing the Old Deuteronomy song, and she's slowly walking into focus through the fog, and you get. A close-up of Dame Judy Dench as a hairy cat, and at that point, it's like, how am I supposed to take any of this shit seriously? And this just happens all over this movie, and th- there are more times that it-, it-, it gets even more egregious, and it gets very like horny and sexual. <laughs> That's what I've heard. There's a moment where uh, it's the one time like Taylor Swift comes on and and does her thing and has this big. Uh, great song that's the thing like the music is pretty damn good this would be a great musical if it wasn't about cats um and then idris elba uh shows up he's kind of he kind of pops in and out but he has his big like number with taylor swift and throughout the movie he's wearing this coat and during this number he removes the coat and you're just left watching a naked muscular Idris Elba as a cat. (laughs) So here's... It's horrifying. Some funny things I read about this production. Uh, Tom Hooper, this director... A madman. A truly insane person. Really just... He just made really, really, like, beginner mistakes. Uh, And he did the same thing with Le Miserable, but the the end product was, like, presentable and actually award-winning. But in this movie, he didn't use uh, the motion capture tracker dots on when when filming so his characters crazy. uh so the result is uh a pain in the fucking ass for the animation team because they have no reference point for where things need to go on these but people's they did, bodies they did a good job like the movie it it only looks repulsive because it's people pretending to be cats by moving in this wiry way where they're shifting their shoulders around and they have tails coming out of the back of their asses but they also have human hands yeah so you're like where's the rest of the body sometimes they're wearing clothes but the work of the animators like the quality of the digital fur technology it's good it's pretty damn good well they were working up right until the minute this movie got released they're still working on it yeah exactly (laughs) because there are 3.0 is on the way there are yeah because there are like several glaring errors just because uh tom hooper fucked up and made it so everything took longer than it should have another funny thing uh that tom hooper did is uh at the premiere of this movie did you read about this premiere what he had been up uh, for 36 consecutive hours just like trying, to, like finishing the movie before it came out. And then he went to the premiere and he said, um, 
I hope you enjoy this film, which is about the perils of tribalism. <laughs> <laughs> what? Enjoy, that's and then the not, movie. Yeah, and then the movie started. What's not what it's for the first time. Does he? Do you think that he's like? Well, you know what? Like, I see a lot of myself. Like, I think that I'm the Kanye West of filmmakers. He's like, well, look, he did Life of Pablo. He just kept changing it and then yeah. re-uploading. I can just do that with cats. Honestly, this man sucks. <laughs> I mean, well, you had the take, Drew, that Quentin Tarantino was the. The Kanye, uh, the Kanye, Kanye of, yeah. of directors, Tom, but, no. But with Tom Hooper, Maybe it's Tom Hooper. Some, I don't know. I think the highs of Tom Hooper are higher than anything the, that Kanye has the ever Tom done. Hooper Dude, comp, <laughs> the Tom Hooper comp carries because in this stage right now, Kanye is testing the public to see how far he can take it, and that's what Tom <laughs> Hooper is doing. He's like, "Let me see how far I can take this," because guys, like sitting there and watching this movie. I multiple times just my brain exploded because I was like, who the fuck let this happen? Yeah, this is a multi-million, probably hundreds of million dollar production. And it they let him get away with it. Like someone signed off on this movie stars acted in it. Sir Ian McKellen is in this movie mm. as a cat and he gives a phenomenal performance. Yeah. Like what? So you're what saying what the fuck? Hey, you're actually higher on it than I expected you no, to be. No, the movie's awful. So it's like a two out of ten. Oh, okay. Well that's higher I so friend of the show, Adam, uh that we talked to that we had on the Star Wars episode. Check it out. Um he uh he saw this movie and Adam is like a very open person. Like he likes most movies. And he said that this was like might be the worst thing that he's ever seen. Yeah, he like was... worse than the room, like literally yeah. the worst movie no. that he's ever seen. If, if it, Adam like, says affected it's a, him yeah. viscerally, and that's that was more so where I was thinking that you were going to come at it from. Well, but it is kind of like that at parts because the the dissonance that happens with this movie is that you have trained artists set designers musicians v vfx artists dancers singers actors all putting in work trying really hard to make something great and it shows but it's a bunch of weird humanoid monstrous cat things that's where it falls apart is like you have these people there's there's craft in this movie but it's all done in service of a plotless weird cat thing with little furry tails sticking out of their yeah. asses that is well ultimately like if you think about the green lighting of the idea uh that would be the first or second like big question that any studio would have is what is the look going to be are we going full cat are we going like a whole animated movie where they're just in a cat world? That would world? be better. Yeah, of course it would. If it was it fully animated. Um, or are we doing like theater and they're just wearing costumes? And But it's some sort of hybrid. Well, it, well exactly. In true studio fashion, what, what ended up resulting was a hybrid of those two that is the worst of both worlds. Yeah, it's, it's like this impossible nightmare of a movie. It, it shouldn't be a real thing. Like, this is like the simulation breaking is what this is. I do have to ask. Um, I need you really quick to rank the cats from hottest to least hot. Um, Who where, are you the horniest for? Well, was it was it Jason Derulo? Was it see, T. Swizzle? Was I, it Judy Dench? It's a tough question because as a human man, 
I am not attracted to strange cat I, human hybrids. I don't believe you. Can't relate. Keep going. Yeah. But it's fine. If I were a strange human cat hybrid, it would a hundred percent be Taylor Swift. Yeah. Not like, Jason Derulo? She's the only like But what if hot what if cat. I told you that they had to digitally edit out his balls from the suit because he got that big of a dick? Yeah, they had to they had to cut his dick down. I mean, they I think they did the same thing to Idris Elba. Did they have to did they have to like uh like shrink Taylor Swift's nipples so that you didn't see them in the cat So seat? I I think that Taylor Swift is the only female that actually has like breasts. They like flatten yeah, everybody no, else. It's weird. Guess what cats don't have is breasts and then no nipples. Um well, Taylor Swift is the answer, though. I mean, you heard it here first. Yeah, she, I, I, I mean, she, listen, she looked pretty fine. I'm gonna in that come trailer. back and I'm, I'm gonna be like, lie. "Yo, James Corden could get it, though." Like, Rebel Wilson. Cat. I will say, Sir Ian McKellen looks fucking fantastic for like a 90 year old man. I think he's like pushing 90 at this point. Man, what if this is the last he movie that he ever acts? God, God, that's it's gonna be his first time as a bitch where he's like, Ian, "Sir Ian McKellen, most noted for cats." Um, <laughs> And the sad part is that he's good. He's really good. It's like, what are you doing, man? I hope he got a lot of money. I mean, we might. This might not be the last time. I'm sure that he'll show up again at the Oscars mm. for and best actor. The, also, this will not be the last time we talk about this because we're going to make you watch it again. Right? Yeah. We're so you guys still want to see it? Yes. yes. Oh my okay. god. Oh yes. no. I now that I know it's bad. Ew. <laughs> well, now I don't want to see it. I was hoping you're going to be like, actually, cats. It's pretty good. Well, then I wouldn't see it. <laughs> it's going to be one of the biggest financial failures of. Yeah, so it cost what ninety ninety five million dollars and made six million opening weekend. That is a disaster yeah. of like Christmas, proportions that Christmas doesn't weekend. happen. Yeah, why they released this movie in the same weekend as Star Wars? I want to go up to the studio heads and like punch them in the yeah. mouth and be like, "You fucking that's another, idiots!" That's another really funny wrinkle that they were literally they knew it wasn't finished yeah. and they were rushing and like staying up late nights to finish it just so it could come out specifically right when it shouldn't. Come and out. they were trying to push <laughs> right. it for awards too. Oh man! And they took it down. What a disaster! Yeah, they. I mean, they dropped the ball through and through. Tom Hooper, listen, you <laughs> look like the motherfucking girl from Hereditary. Uh, check yourself. All right, this is your final burn notice. Yeah. Uh, I hope they let that man move on to something. Else. I hope Take that they get a best picture nomination. I hope that they sweep the Oscars this year. Anyway. and then we can officially like close this podcast forever and never <laughs> talk about movies again. Speaking of mad creative visions, Shia LaBeouf wrote a movie, and we saw it. We yeah. got to at least talk about it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we did see it. It's been a couple weeks ago since we talked Honey about Boy. it. Honey Boy. We didn't talk about or it. Or since we, since we saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guys, this was a pretty pretty great movie. I really liked it's it. It's not going to make my top 10, but it's solid. Yeah. More than solid. His performance as his own father is like... I think one of the best of the year. There were three really, really great uh, Shias in this movie. The real Shia. Lucas and then Hedges. And then the two ch- child Noah Shias. Jupe. Noah Jupe. Uh, he, he probably gets the most screen time of any character in this movie, playing a young Shia. Uh, his name is Otis in the movie, but the movie is about, you know, written by Shia, and it's about uh, two different timelines of his life one in which he is like in rehab trying to reckon with his childhood and then the meat of the movie is during his childhood when his dad is driving him to work on the show he works on and uh over coaching him and just generally being an insane like deranged human being uh which real shia is very good at playing as it turns out who would have thought 
I mean, I was thoroughly, uh, like, I couldn't look away the entire movie. Yeah, well, we knew going into it what the deal was, that he had written a movie about himself as his own father. Like, and that, going into this movie knowing that, elevates it to a certain level where you kind of know that this guy is putting his life on screen in a way that few people do and that it it's a way for him to process his trauma. Yes. I I thought that Shia was amazing. I thought overall I thought that everybody gave pretty good performances. I can't, I just thought this movie was just about solid and that was it. And maybe it's because I wanted it without getting into any kind of spoilers or anything for people who haven't seen it. Um I thought this movie was going to come down a lot harder on one side than it ends up doing. I really did not like the way that this movie ended at all. It did not work for me in any way. Because I just, it, it, I thought that there was a weird, like, it felt like this movie needed to be, like, 20 minutes longer. And, like, we kind of just missed a chapter uh, before we actually get to where this movie ends up going to it's um, right at the hour and a half mark yeah like i i would have rather this movie been like an hour 50 hour two hours just to get a little bit more time with these characters to actually understand yeah because the- here's the thing like i this isn't like a major spoiler say like shia's dad isn't like a terrible person like he has like some bad things and like some kind of like manipulative qualities about him but he doesn't like beat shia he doesn't like do anything like that terrible he does once there's yeah one... he beats shia man well yeah like there's that one scene but like whenever this movie was advertised it was like oh my god like he's really gonna go in and like show like all the abuse and everything else but like the shia kid character is kind of like a little shit in this movie too so like and it, it kind of just ends up somewhere in the middle is where you leave off and you're just like yeah we're all well, just people just getting by. But that's, I, the I, point just, of, that's the point of the movie. I, I guess so. I just, it didn't really work for me. Like, I felt like I needed something more that this movie never really wow. got for I, me. I thought that his dad was a pretty horrible person. I mean, he's throughout. not a good guy. Yeah, I, but also, like, there's a mother character, and the mother is, like, completely absent, too. Yeah. But it's not trying to cast really any blame on her in this movie. So it's like, this movie, it kind of just caught me as a movie that... It thought that it had. I thought that it had a lot more to say than it actually did. You, the potential wasn't. Yeah, I thought um, that the potential it never, it never came to the compl- to the possible potential of it all. Mm. That's interesting. I, I mean, that wasn't my problem with it. Uh, I, yeah, I thought like Shia's dad's character was pretty thoroughly bad uh, of of a guy. And if anything, like I think the thing that sheds the most light on that is that. He's about on the same maturity level or lower than his son uh, throughout the movie. Like, he is a child, and he's supposed to be raising a child. Um, and he lets that, like, control his yeah, emotions. Yeah, what was, what was more frustrating is the... Which plenty of people... This is the main critique that people are saying in general, is that it doesn't come down on Shia himself, really. It's, uh, you know, it's supposed to be... It is very reflective... Uh, but it is almost just a reflection. It's not like digging deeper into thinking like, you know, it is all, I don't know. It, there should be a little bit more self-blame for his self-destruction. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying is that it doesn't really come down firm either way. And it's just like, well, we're all people. I wanted I wanted it, them both to have some kind of emotional breakthrough and both realize that they weren't the best people. And well, that never 
actually comes to fruition. Going, going back to my point about it being a sort of therapeutic exercise for him, I think the the exercise wasn't to vilify his father and kind of blame him for his life issues or even to revert the blame onto himself and and own up to his own mistakes but just to understand his father and his father's inadequacies and and shortcomings and not really to to portray him as a villain but just to understand him and just to say like hey my father was a very flawed person you could say a bad person but just this was this movie was his way to like come to terms with that and to just see his his dad as this very flawed man so i think it's it also might have been because i saw we saw this movie like right after we did or right around the time we did review of marriage story and during that we were like man it almost feels like noah bomback is using this movie like as therapy and I saw Honey Boy, I'm like, oh no, Shy is literally using this movie as <laughs> yeah. therapy right now. Because I think that it doesn't it's really... Like in the movie, It doesn't too. have anything really to say except for to say, like, we all go through some shit sometimes. And then we just have to work through yeah. it. Yeah. Which is... You can make that compelling in its own way. I just didn't find it to ever be that. That being said, I thought that Shia LaBeouf's performance was really, yeah. really good. And it was really powerful. Yeah. There's a moment where... um. It's a recurring thing about how Shia's baby boy Shia um, doesn't have a strong pee flow, yeah. so therefore he has a little dick, which I don't know if that's true or not. Fully, have not been able it. to verify. No, but, uh, Shia definitely has a small hog, but he's also really good at sex. 100%. <laughs> um, one thing, the other thing that's that right, he has this sex is like up. a 10-year-old boy with FKA twigs, so uh-huh. I... We can, so we can all agree, basically, that the script is the weak point of the movie. Written by Shia, it's his debut, wrote it, you know, conceptualized it literally during rehab and therapy, uh, so that's not a shock. Uh, what was maybe the biggest revelation, aside from, like, Noah Jupe killing it, because we already knew Shia was a great actor, we already knew Lucas was a great actor, and I wish we could have seen Shia, a little more of him. is like, all-time great kid actors. Yeah, he's incredible. He was legendary. Uh, the direction, though, this was the major debut of Alma Harrell. This is probably one of the ten best directed movies I've seen this year, kind of hands down. Like, it's gorgeously shot. Um, very, uh emotionally like in tune with the the direction of the movie um you can tell that it was a collaborative process but she really really slayed it with the direction it's it's colorful uh the styles shift really drastically depending on the type of scene you're watching and it's always like an appropriate move uh i was i was very very impressed because i had it in my head that shia was directing it um and i'm glad he did not because yeah, he could have done the whole the the, yeah. the triple threat because well, just Alma Harrell, like wow, wow, wow. She like there were a lot of just dr- jaw dropping shots. In this well, the, movie. I think the movie would have been way too kind of wrapped up into itself if he would have directed. Like he wouldn't have been able to put it out in a way that was digestible for people. And Harrell's direction is what makes it so watchable. And yeah, and she you can connect she to really, it. really killed it. Mm-hmm. And also, we should reiterate Lucas Hedges does a fantastic Shia mm-hmm. like the intonation of his voice the sort of aggression that he puts yeah. into it is so dead on I also uh it's the very beginning of the movie I really love it's just Lucas Hedges just like staring like with like a deadpan just off screen 
uh, off camera, I mean, and then you just hear him go like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. And like, he's Optimus. clearly on like, on like, yeah, he's clearly like on the set of a Transformers movie and then just gets yanked back. And after that, you see him just like his anger and frustration come out as he's trying to get this suit off of him and he just can't. I thought that those were some of the best moments were moments that were more about Shia himself and less about their relationship. Just because I think that the relationship would have been interesting in itself. I almost felt like it was two different stories. It was a yeah. story about him looking inward and it was a story about him and his dad's relationship and that juggling just and I think completely come together. Your point about it being a little longer maybe could have fixed that because as the movie started to kind of near its end, I, you, you know, you can feel the motions of the movie sort of concluding. I was like, oh shit, these two timelines aren't really going to converge how I would have expected them to mm -hmm. and i realized that the movie wasn't going to have this big thematic overlap and you get a little bit of that at the very end you know when you sort of realize the context of the movie you're watching inside of the movie which is kind of neat but it's not this big grand uh conversion um of the two timelines which is what i would have preferred uh the other, the last thing I wanted to mention is that I was not a fan of FK Twigs in this movie. Um, I think she's great. Like she, you know, she, I mean, she I think that she only says job. like three lines in the movie. Most of her is just being like, <laughs> and just like laughing. I, I liked her kid. acting in it. Yeah, that's what I was she about to say. She hasn't given anything to do in the, this movie. The acting's solid, but the character, I wasn't a fan of that character because it just made me feel like really off. Like I wasn't well, vibing it, with the movie when she was on screen because of what that character means to young Shia and the... the kind of dynamic there yeah because it's very well because it's set up like originally you think it's like a sexual relationship and then you realize like oh this is almost like a mother figure the best part of the entire movie which happens pretty early on is this woman fka twigs is nice to him and he has like give hands her money because he's like yeah. i don't like nobody like just chooses to hang out and spend time with me let me pay you for spending time with me yeah because that was like dad that was the most heartbreaking moment like was just that whole scene that happened there yeah i, any, I think it was it was solid i think it's a good movie um great direction great acting uh all right script overall that averages out to be would, a good movie would you watch another movie written by shia that's not about his life i don't know if he would even do that right like do you think he would i well, don't based on what we see in this movie i'd say no yeah you just the you, whole conceit of why he wrote it yeah you don't think that he because he's not like the industrious type like like a uh you know john krasinski like planning out his career 20 years in advance like here's here's gonna be my writing debut blah 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 it's not like that it's more of like a, i got it i gotta write this and like get it made or whatever and i don't think he's gonna feel that urgently about any story that is not about him well i hope that this helped him <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, I, I hope that he's doing better mentally because yeah. <laughs> I do. I do really like Shia as a he's person, been and like some he's shit. he's been through a lot of shit. And I mean, next he could just be doing like another social experiment thing or something, and I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. But as long as he's doing better mentally, maybe this movie will help him get to the good place. Huh. I got I got nothing for this one. <laughs> yeah. You guys want so, to talk about The Good Place? The uh, f first half of the final season uh, wrapped up a couple weeks ago. Good Place has been kind of uh, kind of stagnant lately. It, 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 it was this kind of firecracker of a show around the season two mark. And then season three decided to 
put its characters back in the in, on Earth, in the real world of sorts. Um, and then this final season is doing something a little bit differently, but in a uh, framing that is very similar to the first season, mm. just with some very key pieces sort of shifted around. Uh, Ed, for the bulk of these, what, eight episodes, mm. I was like, yeah, good show, solid show. I, I enjoy it. And then the final episode mm. aired, and I was like, damn. This is a it still has show. it still has that's the thing about this show is that it still has those moments. I think that this is like a huge upgrade over season three. I thought season three it was still like one of the best shows on network TV just because the bar is so low and yeah. it like that was the thing about whenever it came on is it was like, oh my God, this is blowing every other network TV show out of the water because it's actually like exceptional yeah, in a world conceptual. of just like five out of ten shows so. I really liked what they're doing. Like, it's very, very... Like, they're just going all in on the high concept to a point where, like, some of the comedy and stuff is sacrificed, I think, in the newest season. But yeah, I never really watched the show just for the comedy laughs. I don't know how their ratings are because I can't imagine just, like, your great aunt just, like, throwing on the newest episode of The Good Place casually without seeing anything that came before it. Like, I don't even think that's possible. Um, but I have really enjoyed it. And this the mid-season finale goes back into Chidi's life and everything yeah. that made Chidi who he is. And I just thought it was so well done. It was one of the best episodes of the entire series. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, yeah, I love the show. I think it... it, it it hit a peak right around the season two mark, and I don't think it's kind of reached that point. But we'll see what happens with the final couple episodes, um, early twenty twenty. It's the the last bit bit before it ends, and uh, like you said, I mean, compared to all the other shows that network TV has to offer, it's it's so much better than that, mm. and, and the high concept of it just really puts it on another tier and i love these characters i love the actors i think um it's it's a good thing that they're ending in and that they're not dragging it out so i'm, I'm confident that that mike Schur and his writers have a a really strong finish for the for the conclusion i'm hoping yeah i uh do how much time do, are we at here? I'm wondering if I can make this transition or not if there's time. do it how long of a transition one is thing's it? for sure <laughs> Whether or not they can actually nail this ending, they're definitely walking on, you could say, a bit of a fine line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Much like uh, Harry Styles' new album, Fine Line. Okay. Okay. Good album. Watermelon it's, Sugar. Ah. Um, watermelon that's a fun sugar, song. Ah. I think that this album is actually, like, really great. Like, it's, yeah, this is going to be, like, chops. it's going to be a dark horse to be on my top ten of the year. Mm. Um, so... Every now and then, there's a pop artist or a pop album that like transcends through the billboard garbage and kind of just really captures me. Last year, it was Ariana Grande, and ever since then, been a huge Ariana stan. DJ Khaled. Love our queen. Speaking of, she has put out a live album of the Sweetener Tour that I went to, and it is an incredible live album. You can hear a little taste of the live drums and everything in there. Great mm. live album. But Harry Styles put out an album, and you know, Harry Styles of One Direction and Dunkirk fame, um, he, uh, I, not a One Direction guy, um, 
You it was just, kind you of can a just little say bit. That they suck. Like they I, were a bad boy band. <laughs> they weren't great. Uh, but we were also like old, older yeah. past the demo, and also like guys, which was never really the demo. Oh yeah, for... but it's just you know, it's like really, really, really like lowest common denominator pop, and that's yeah, like that's fine. what makes you beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Come on, guys. I, I, so I was kind of hesitant on this. And I heard like a couple singles and I was like, oh yeah, these are these are kind of catchy. Like, all right, this is like it's solid pop music. And I listened to this album and I know that it's an album that's special because my girlfriend, of course, is a big Harry fan. Uh, uh, Larry, you could say she ships the Louis Harry relationship. Mm, who doesn't? Um, yeah, of course. Larry Stylinson? Yeah. It's real. Dark Larry's out there. It's real. Um, so I she put this on. And I was like, okay, this is actually pretty good. And I knew that an album transcends whenever I just put it on by myself without her asking me to put on an album. <laughs> and I've listened to this album a lot because I think that's really good. There's a like, it's not just straight up like radio pop in this album. There's like some good rock music. There's this one song, She, oh, which yeah. is like a six minute ballad that has like full on Jack White style um, guitar riffs in it. It almost has like. The music uh, verses almost sound like something in a Broken Bells song. Does he play the guitar on that? Because whoever plays it is that. absolutely shredding. Yeah, they are absolutely killing it on there. Um, but I do think that there are some uh, great pop songs on here. Adore You is a great song. Lights Up is just like a fucking banger. Like, that song just beats. Um, there's... Uh, couple other uh like canyon moon is another kind of a twist it's not full-on pop um it almost has some of the songs on here have like almost like a a dad rock quality to them <laughs> um and i don't mean that in like an insulting way either i think that it is like showing that at this point now that he's not tied to being on a record label and he's actually writing more of his music he's able to experiment a little bit more versus like a producer just being here's the beat here's the chorus just come up with a few words for the verse and then just will mass produce yeah. like three if of these that. things a year <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> if they even do that unless they just hand it to them already finished yeah, and like sing it um but i think that he is experimenting a little bit more and i think that this is a really really successful pop album i really like it a lot um it's it's gonna be vying for a top ten spot on my top ten of the year list. Mm, Sorry, Brittany Howard, get the fuck oh out of here! Oh my god, I'll, that is I will Sorry, Tyler the Creator sucks. <laughs> get out of here! You just booted two people of color for Mister White Boy. Okay, you know what, Vampire Weekend, you're out too. <laughs> That's there, fair. is that better? They're Jews. So. <laughs> They're no, Jews. it's actually <laughs> worse. <laughs> um. I um I listened through all the way now at this point. Um it is I will call it like it's good definitely. Yeah. And it's clearly way it. way better than One Direction of course. Um sometimes it still feels to me like blue balls for like actual like alternative where yeah. it's like he, you can tell he's like trying to escape a lifetime of pop and he's just like you know he's he's like breaking at the walls and so, as for two songs like it really break through and they're like their own thing. Um, but some of them just seem like they're like trying to scratch an itch that I can just listen to alternative music to scratch instead. But alternative music doesn't get radio plays. So the fact that it's somebody who is like pop, who is still trying to like, they're like, Hey, I'm going to have the number one billboard song and there's just going to be a six minute guitar based song. 
is cool. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, no, that's it's cool. yeah, it's cool. But I, you know, we kind of live untethered from the radio, so I don't have to care about the radio at all. So therefore, I can listen to anything. But I, so we don't. But like the majority of America still does. No, like you still I know. listen, and that's why I like like that there is somebody. If he wanted to just make like a weird experimental album, then he could, but nobody would fucking listen to it. So yeah. it's like it's Trojan horsing themes of better music into yeah. a pop radio. No, sense. I I respect that, um, but I could just listen to the better music. Good point. If I wanted to, I know I, like it's cool. It's almost like, um, like if a really good director gets a hold of a Marvel movie. Right. You know, and he's like he's sneaking in like good movie shit, yeah, like, like Ryan, Ryan Johnson or Ryan Coogler. Yeah, yeah, they're sneaking in all this good shit, but it's like, man, you could I could mainline this shit into my veins if I wanted to. I could just turn on like the best but movie. There are a couple songs in here that kind of get a little bit closer to that. Yeah, like, no, she that's is what I'm saying. A good it, example. I, I, what I told you guys, I think when I first heard it, is uh, I think his next album is going to be really good. I hope so. Like it, it to me, this was an album to say like I'm here and I'm gonna get yeah, like because his well, self titled did make as much of a splash i don't think yeah i haven't really dove into his first album well that was still pretty but that's uh, what i was gonna say was that like i mean i'm talking more about the trojan horsing and everything but i also think that there's just really good pop tracks on here too they're just like get stuck in your head like i'll just be like watermelon sugar ha. and i just like want to put on the song like or adore you is a great great song that just like ah I like just I gets, like watermelon sugar a lot. I those Poppy songs just hell. get yeah nice horn line in that um, song. Yeah, I think that he's he's getting at something that eventually I think for me will be better because like I have a lot of faith in the guy. He uh he seems very cool. Like he seems like he's very with it. Everyone has good things to say about him. He was good on SNL hosting and musical guesting. Hard to do. Um, he's gonna be around. Like people like the guy. Also, he's hot. He is. He's very hot. And in like. A slightly alt way, but like mm-hmm. still very down the middle where anyone could think. Hey. Do you guys think he's going to do any more acting? Because he's actually solid. He's actually pretty yeah. good in Dunkirk and like a well, like a was, smaller part. He was like, supposed he to be over. in the live action Little Mermaid, but he dropped out. Yeah, so um, maybe not. I know he'll he'll be around. Either, you know, you never know why he would drop yeah. out of that. But I you know, can see him being like almost like the Justin Timberlake of our time. Yeah. Of, um, this, well, of the Justin next Timberlake is the Justin Timberlake. No, part. well, of the next generation. We I mean. need. Oh. I mean, we need. He's to, like Justin Timberlake's like fifteen years older than Harry Styles. We, we at need this point. to. We need to check in on. Justin oh my god, Timberlake. Is, I don't know what is, is JT doing. Okay, is Justin fifty. <laughs> He's just like he's not. I don't think he is doing okay. Well, his, uh, his wife last, is, his, his last pop album was not good. I think his he, wife is an anti vaxxer I think he might be an alcoholic on top of that. Well, he is friends. He is hey, best friends with Jimmy Fallon. No, yeah. he was in two of the best movies of the decade. So, in uh, time, Social Network, in <laughs> time, and in, of course, I, Inside Lewin Davis. Mm, oh, that's dear right. Mr. Kennedy. Uh oh. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Um, so what else? What, what's on the docket? We got to talk about Watchmen, boys. Yeah, it's, this is, you didn't even queue up a transition for that. Well, one. Just, I I feel like that was just such a limp reaction to my Harry Styles before album. Before we dive into Watchmen, I just want to say I saw Little Women. It is so delightful. We're gonna have to talk about it next week or something because I, I cannot wait to see. Loved it. Please seek it out. It's fantastic. It's doing um, pretty good business too, yeah. which I'm glad to see. Watchmen. Wrapped up. Nine episodes. Boom. That's it. 
Damon out. We got to talk about Eps 8 and 9, which number 8 was basically the Dr. Manhattan episode um, told in a nonlinear fashion, really from Manhattan's perspective. And then the big finale, which did its best to throw everything up in the air and catch as much of it as possible. So what did what did you guys think? They weren't my two favorite episodes of the season. Um, Which one remains your your fave? Uh, Probably the what the black and white one, the nineteen thirties. No, it's not that one. What is the one? The Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, I think probably I would pick that one. Uh, yeah, first off top, but they're not my two favorites. But as with this entire show, you got to appreciate how nuts uh, what he's trying to do is. Oh yeah, you know you just got to appreciate that in a really homogenous uh, space that he's operating within. He's going for shit that is uh, out there. Like whether or not uh, I think that he's really sticking the landing every time, I'm just happy that he's at least like launching himself <laughs> like a hundred feet off a cliff. Even if he sometimes does belly flop, you know what I mean? Uh, not that these are bad episodes of TV. They're still they're very uh, forward thinking, like progressive works of art. Um, there, I think there is a kind of a good deal of corniness within that is not intentional some is intentional uh i'm interested to talk about where we left off but we'll have to start from before there you know so starting with the dr manhattan episode i guess i spoilers too for oh yeah if you haven't seen watchmen turn it off sorry bye check it out great new year's (laughs) it's a good show so um the the voice of dr manhattan is I think bad <laughs> when we don't see him when the camera isn't showing he, his I'm, face. I'm saying I think that the voice choice is a bad choice for a, a character that holds so much power and weight in in the show. So all of Yaya's performance, his, basically. I think that the yeah, I think the choice to speak like that is is not a, a good choice. And I they were kind of backed into a corner because uh, the character of Doctor Manhattan is a white man. Yeah. And uh, Yaya is not, and they tried to bridge that gap by having Yaya do white voice, basically. Um, and it comes across as a little similar to Dave Chappelle doing white voice, <laughs> you know? Uh, not Obviously not that intense, <laughs> but uh, just a little silly. There are just things here and there in these eps that struck me as silliness. Um, Definitely along- the glow of him the glow is is bad bad. bad. and it looks bad and i was confused as to why i i just think that that part is not a priority to damon like i don't think to him the visual effects are the priority it just sucks that it kind of takes you out of it to see like a half-assed job but he puts his effort into the writing and the intricacy of the storytelling it's, it's really complicated shit especially obviously this like uh penultimate episode it's just like it's jumping around in time yeah it's, it's doing like it's flashbacks wild. within flash forward so i i personally i thought that the penultimate episode was better than the finale and I don't know if I'm no, the you, only person you might who be right that's true that a lot of this the time. table that I thought that that one I think that where the show has been best is whenever it does stuff like the black and white episode, when you're just kind of thrown into the woods and you just kind of have to put the pieces together and it ends up kind of coming together by the end of like the 55 minute mark of the episode. 
Yeah, um, I mean the 1930s that, one is like so removed from the main story yeah. that it it can operate as its own thing. Well, that's I mean that one is I think that that's my favorite episode of this season. Um, if anything, I will say I think I said to you whenever after I watched it that I thought that it did it wrapped up a little bit too neat for me, and I know that's because Damon might not ever make a season two. He to doesn't this plan thing. on it. So, and if there is a season two, it probably will be without Damon. Yeah, it probably won't be with him. So he just wrote one story, but that sucks. The last yeah. episode what? kind of felt like, all right, we got to get all of these players back together right now in this one thing, and it was like very quick. And you're like, oh, I guess uh, Lady True, like she's just full evil now, and uh, Adrian bites back. He's still evil, but he's like different kind of evil. And they're not working together. And it was just, it was very rushed. I did like how Jeremy Irons ended up coming back into the fold. Yeah. I thought that was really. The statue. And I said before that I thought thought that it was like, uh, I thought that that might have, that whole thing might have been a flashback of sorts. And it was. That he was just a statue. And then when they showed that gold statue, there's a little voice in your head saying, like, what if that's actually him? (laughs) Well, the the re- the other reason I do like the penultimate a little better is because the answers that we got in that episode I really wanted to know like I right. was I was dying to know where is Vi what yeah how did she yeah. how did she meet Doctor Manhattan how is Doctor Manhattan related to Vi yeah where the fuck is he yeah uh, <laughs> what is he doing um, how is he gonna fit into the story yeah how is they he was so separate exactly how is he piecing in here we got a lot of answers that I would have been unhappy without knowing and then in the finale we get even more uh and it could you could definitely argue that it's too much however i am not dissatisfied with what we learn i don't think that like it doesn't none of it strikes me as like particularly stupid answers to the questions it's just the fact that we get all of them in in such a uh, short amount of time it's almost overwhelming yeah it was just like oh my god like now i know every every single thing when this show has just been hinged on me not knowing anything well the the thing the show struggles the most for me is is that I, I I said this before, but it is two stories at once. It is this retelling of Watchmen to catch people up that don't know it. And it is this new story. And in some ways, it's also a sequel to Watchmen and a prequel. It's all of those things wrapped up into one, building off of this, this 12-issue comic book. And I think just that feat alone is tremendous to take that world and and revamp it and reintroduce it to a new audience and build off of it in really interesting ways ways that are directly tied to that work and also not but then they end up circling all the way back like something like uh andrea uh, angela abar dating dr manhattan the whole time yeah you know you think she's completely removed from the events of the original watchman and then you find out that her man is literally the most important character in that in that book yeah and the way that that episode is told is genius and obviously there are things that don't land as well uh i i think your criticism of, of yaya is is fair I loved him. I think that it is a very different interpretation of what we saw with the Zack Snyder uh, movie with Billy Curdup. I honestly, gun to my head, I would probably prefer Billy Curdup 
and that representation of, of Manhattan, uh, the way they made him look and, and glow. But Yaya is doing something very different because Yaya, his version of Manhattan is a Manhattan that hasn't known his true self for 10 years. And he is sort of, he's, it's not like you can flip a switch back on and go immediately back to that same version of Manhattan. He has convinced himself that he is a human mm. over the course of a decade. So that's the version of Manhattan that we're getting. And it is very different. And it's not, I guess, quite as true to the, to the original character. But I really respect the fact that Damon is giving us this slightly different interpretation of the character. Even though there are moments where like, we flash back to you know, an era that is, that is more aligned with that. And I think that's where it starts to get a little shaky. But the way that episode is constructed... Through the perspective of Manhattan, jumping around in time, allowing us, the audience, to know what his uh, perception of time is and how he yeah. doesn't understand the concept of before or after, mm -hmm. that it's all happening at once all the time. I think that was just so genius I to thought, do it. Yeah, I thought that that was done well. Um, I did want to say another thing, and I don't want to come across... I feel like I've been very negative on this podcast. It's going to be one of the episodes that I get the write-ins that say, Hunter's too negative. Um, another thing I didn't love was... Kind, Tim Blake Nelson kind of disappears after yeah. the Tim Blake Nelson episode. But when he comes back... he. Yes. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yay, I'm glad that he's here, but it doesn't really make sense... What he's doing, I think that the show worked better for me earlier on. Whenever it was more of a story about racism than it was about intergalactic like world beaters, like I thought that that was much more interesting. Where it's like the cavalry are like a bunch of like racist fucks, yeah. And even if they do like worship Adrian Veidt for him bringing the Squid Man, and they're trying to harness that power, it's still like at its core there's something like more truly evil to it. And it does get end, a little convoluted. In the end, they are truly evil. Like, it's not like they're justified in any way, but it's like they're evil, but, like, they don't even... They're, like, human evil, and we have, like, intergalactic evil with Lady True, who's like, I'm actually the real big bad, and it just... It, it got messy. It got messy, and it got cleaned up a little bit too neatly in, like, one episode. Like, I wish that... Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it would have benefited by being 10-episode-long season. Yeah, like, give me it w originally was supposed there. to be 10, but Damon made the call to shorten it. And I don't know why. I think he mentioned that he thought that an extra episode would be filler, but there's enough there to, to flesh it yeah, out. Yeah. That's really, like I said, like I'm not upset with what we find out. I'm just upset that we find it all out at once. Uh, like this could have been two seasons of shit. Yeah. You know, we could have really, and you, the way the show ends, literally mm -hmm. the final moment, that's a whole nother story. Oh, to tell of course. Right there. Yeah. That's why I'm going to be very upset if Damon just leaves this production. I mean, we're in spoilers. Like it's pretty obvious. She got the power, right? Yeah. What do we think? Well, I mean, they do the inception cut where you don't yeah, actually It could know. go either way. So it could go either way. It could that start was, Yeah, that was wild. Like they could have like the last Jedi of Watchmen where she takes the it resumes right then and she just falls into the water. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see her with the power. I mean, it's What would the Yeah, what would that be? Like a season of Angela Abar being 
like um you know on omnipotent well the whole thing with dr manhattan is that because he's no longer a human he doesn't feel the need to engage in human activities and he doesn't feel the need to save people like he has the power to save people he could make all the nukes disappear and mm -hmm. he just doesn't because mm -hmm. he doesn't care so someone with that power could actually make a real difference and that's the whole concept of dr manhattan is like if superman was real he would not save anybody he would leave mm. that's what it was the genius of alan moore it, it, it was subverting that whole concept of the superman um but the the last episode i will agree with with you guys points about it being a, a little rush but i think that when it does slow down and it gives us a moment like the moment between Angela and Will in the theater where it all started and mm -hmm. the, the pilot. That was awesome. And they kind of condense the show, the entire show into that moment when he tells her that, that your, um, what is it? Mask don't, uh, What's the line? It's like masks don't fix your scars. They oh, yeah. need I, air to yeah. heal. Yeah. It's something like that. It's mm. it's something along those lines. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's where this show, this whole season has excelled is in the little moments. That's why it's funny they didn't do a 10th episode because he thought it would be filler. But I found the more, like, the less extraordinary aspects of the show to be the best parts of the show yeah is more in the character dynamics themselves whenever yeah there's like moments like whenever angela is in a room uh talking with um um what's her name the police lady who comes in there oh lori uh, lori yeah whenever they're like having those little interactions i together. was a little upset that we didn't get a moment between lori and manhattan yeah because they they have a whole history there and this manhattan is about to die like he dies and we don't get a moment between the two. Yeah, what's she gonna do with that blue dildo now? Yeah, <laughs> that was my question. All she gets is a basically like we see her gasp when she sees yeah, him. Yeah, which is a great reaction. Yeah, she's great. And then yeah, nothing else beyond that. Um, backtracking a little, just to the bigger reveals of the episode, I was super into the idea that Lady True is like the bastard daughter of yes! fight. I that do, was, oh, I do so like good. that. I think that is a really really smart uh, continuance of the story. Yeah. Um, so we need and to done in a in a way that works and that fits into yeah. the established plot line. No, it, yeah, <laughs> um, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, <laughs> it all it all tracks and it makes sense. Uh, I was pretty down with the you know what what fleshed out from the uh, white supremacist thing with the senator wanting to become. Yeah, do you like those undies? Um, those Dr. Manhattan panties? The Listen, the gay Twitter was losing their minds <laughs> in my feed over there. They were probably already losing their minds at just the way that guy talks. I mean, he's a good-looking dude. Yeah. He, I feel like he could be in more stuff, probably. Mm -hmm. um, that The monologue he gives was way too much. That's the point. <laughs> I mean, go back and read Watchmen. Like, a Adrian Veidt has a monologue that's just like that. The, it's it's part of the whole 
Yeah, I mean that's fair. We're talking the, comic book yeah. shit anyway. It, I just it's it struck me as such a non-human. Uh, well, it, like three minutes. It of almost TV. It, it reminded me of like watching an old cartoon where the villain's like, ah, now that I've got you captured, I'm gonna spell out yeah, all my plans yeah. to you, and you can't escape, and but then it, you just escape. And it does everything. good exposition in there because it allows you to understand a little bit more about the motivation of the Seventh Calvary, and and in this reality, in this alternate world the events that happen to lead them to want to do yeah. something like this. I'd rather just watch an like an episode about it. Yeah. Rather than give me like, like a, another like something like speech. the Tim Blake Nelson episode. Like well that's that's your point about us being able to have a whole nother season on this. Yeah. That just sort of fleshes out well, everything. So before next season we need to do a like a body count tracker right now then. Because True is a lot dead. of people are dead. Isn't everybody dead? Seventh Calvary are all dead. Oh Lube Man? Yeah. So Yo, yeah, Lube Man. Lube Where Man, the fuck is Lube Man? Lube Man was confirmed in the online PDpedia files to be Agent uh, PD. That was really? PD. Yeah, that was not Agent PD. It, it's it's alluded to. Yeah, that they found uh, <laughs> they cleaned up his desk because uh, he went rogue, and that they found a giant can of what seemed to be canola oil. Who is desk. who is saying this? This is like the official. So if that you don't is, know HBO, is, oh. uh, Damon and, and his team of writers. Uh, so in in the book in Watchmen, in between every issue, there was this like ancillary material. Like in between it, each yeah. issue, there was like extra stuff. Like in one, uh, but between the first and second issues, there's an excerpt of a book from within the world of one of the superheroes that yeah, yeah, yeah. an autobiography. So Damon's version of that is this online like Reddit type thing that all of the writers work on and post on That's HBO's some shit. website. I want some more I want to see that story. Right? I want to see that. That'd PD's. be great. Yeah, give me the PD episode yeah, of just him like lubing up for like thirty minutes then just running around spying yeah, on people. And just how he came to the conclusion that he should do that. <laughs> yeah that is such a wild like wow well if this was a four season show we would get yeah that it's a bummer plot right. line. um but so vite dead no they cl- they clonked him out they knocked him out and took him to prison because he was like all right you kids you had your fun mm. all right now leave me back to it and then she's like no you killed three million people yeah you're like under you're, arrest you're going to jail okay so he's in jail but i mean gene uh gene smart is dead no she's alive she was there though no she her and um tim blake nelson are at the end in antarctica they God get zapped yeah. To antarctica. yeah 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 That's right. is that where they are yeah oh. yeah i mean i don't know like i i still think that this is an exceptional show it's an amazing season of television I'm just like maybe part of it is just bittersweet for me because I like I want more. It could be more, yeah. and I know that like it could be more. And I'm like, damn you, Lindelof! Like you just he always just gives us these tastes, and then he'll yeah. just like dip out. Yeah, and he's like, no, I'm I'm good. I go. I love it. I think I think just the fact that he was able to do so much with only nine episodes is tremendous. Like so much packed in here. So many ideas, so many themes, so much exploration about uh, race and superheroes and and uh, trauma. The whole idea of inherited trauma is something that I'm thinking about a lot. No, there's no other stories that I can think of that explore the idea of inherited trauma, and the way this show does it is unlike anything else. Um, 
one thing I will say about a season two is it it would be a huge blow to be missing the farcical scenes of Vite like going insane, you know, on his own. Yeah, those added a lot to the show it's for seven, me. It's seven years. Yeah, and I I needed those scenes desperately. Some episodes just to just to so you know, you know, for five minutes you're like, okay, like they get that it's all crazy. They get that right. this is all like absurd. Yeah. That also, added I did, so much. I to did me. love the whole thing uh, with Vite about how he gets rescued because yeah. he knows that she says that she's building a satellite to go look at Jupiter to find him. Yeah, and, and his Jupiter created his own enemy. And the, he just the like game, the game warden. Yeah, he yeah. just gave him a mask. <laughs> He's just like, am I a good a good villain for that, you? He's like, no. that's a leftovers. Uh, illusion right there because he calls him a most worthy adversary and that's the mm. name of one of the l- episodes of leftovers from the last season mm. flash I, forward yeah it's a good show um don't know if it'll make my top 10 13 reasons why season two might knock it out mm-hmm. um yeah so, so i don't know if it'll it's, it's i don't know if he'll make it all right we got to wrap it it'll up thanks it. for listening to We Bought a Mic, final episode of the year. We also have a review of Uncut Gems, so please listen to that. Come on. And coming soon. Give us another shot. A Listomania extravaganza. So follow us at We Bought a Mic on social media. Email us, webottomike at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You rock. Bye-bye.